Well, about seven or eight years ago, uh, Brandon, one of our pastors, Mark, one of our pastors and I were watching a Dallas Cowboys football game on a Sunday or a Monday night as we've done many, many times. Now, a lot of times we're watching those games with other people, uh, but Sometimes in seven or eight years ago, we just happened to be watching this, just the three of us. We were watching the Cowboys game. The Cowboys are up the, the whole game. And uh, in the fourth quarter, I get a text from my wife. Now here's the thing, here's what you gotta realize, okay? We were watching this game behind, like we had recorded it. So we're about a, a quarter behind, like what's actually gone on and what's actually happened, right? I mean, we're a quarter behind what's live. And, and anyone who does this, you know, like when you're watching the show, whether it's the, you know, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, or, or if it's uh, some other show, you know, that you love, you know, whatever show it is that you love. When you're behind, you can't check social media. You can't check your texts. You can't do anything like that. Otherwise, the whole thing will be spoiled for you, right? And, and so when we were watching this game, we're not checking social media. We're not checking texts or anything like that because we don't want to know the end of the game. We want to we wanna watch it. And so my wife, though, has a special ringtone and a special like text message tone so that I know it's her. It's a little, little birdie tweet. And so when my phone goes tweet, tweet, it's my wife. And so I knew it was her. And so I'm thinking she's not watching the Cowboys game. I can check my text because it's my wife and there's no chance that she's watching the Cowboys game. So I check my text and sure enough, she says, did you see that crazy ending? Wasn't it crazy? And I'm like, no, don't say anything else. We don't want to know anything else. We don't want to know because we're, we're, we're not live. Like we're behind, like we're, we're getting caught up. And, and so don't say anything else. We don't know. But the whole rest of the fourth quarter, we know something crazy is going to happen. And so we're watching, but the Cowboys are up. And so we're watching, we're just waiting like with anticipation, you know, for a Romo interception or for whatever it's gonna be, you know, to end the game in some crazy way. So 10 minutes is left, five minutes is left, a minute's left, and the Cowboys are still up. At this point, we start making fun of my wife. And we start saying, and making like comments, like acting like we're her, like, oh, did you see that coach? Like he was so crazy, like he got so mad. That was so crazy. Or look at those two players about to fight. Oh, they're so crazy, they're about to fight. Or look at that referee throwing that flag on that play. Like that's so crazy. I mean, we just start making fun of her left and right. Well, five seconds left, play happens. It's like a strip or a fumble, return for a touchdown, game over, no time left. And we are sitting there looking at the TV like, uh, what just happened? That was actually a really crazy ending and we lost. We couldn't believe it. She was right. She told us there was a crazy ending and sure enough, she was right. But knowing that there was a crazy ending completely changed how we watched that last quarter, right? I mean, because we knew something crazy is about to happen. So we were watching it with like this anxiety and with this anticipation of something's about to happen because we had a clue, we had a word about the way things ended. And wouldn't it be nice if you knew how things ended? Like, wouldn't it be nice if you knew like how this semester was gonna end and like what grade you were gonna get? Like that would reduce a lot of anxiety and stress, I'm sure. Wouldn't it be nice if you knew like, uh, how, if you were going to graduate or not, right? I mean, that would be wonderful. I'm, th I'm sure a lot of you are thinking, man, I just love to graduate at this point. Like, that'd be great. I'm not really sure that's going to happen. Okay. I'm not sure I'm seeing the light at the end of that tunnel. Some of you, you'd love to know what job you're going to get after you graduate. Some of you are kind of at a stage of life where you would like to know who you're going to marry. 
And maybe you ask yourself that question, like you're wondering, is there any hope for me to get married after college? You'd like to know how that's going to end, how that's going to go for you. Wouldn't it be nice to know the ending? Some of us will, in reading a book, we'll skip to the end of the last chapter and read the last chapter to see how the story ends. And doesn't that change your entire experience reading the book, right? Because you know the ending. You know how it goes in the end. It changes your entire experience. Do you know the same thing is true in life? Like God has actually told us how all of this ends, like how the world and time as we know it like ends. Like he's told us how it's all going to happen in the end. And when you know how things end, it changes your experience and how you live this life. And so tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter four and the book of Revelation 19, 20 and 21. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, if you don't go to RaiderChurch.com, select message notes, follow along with us because we are going to be talking some major Jesus and Bible tonight. Okay. Now, that's my job is to tell you the Bible says I'm supposed to preach Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead and to preach his word. And boy, I'm telling you, you're going to get a lot of it tonight. So to follow along, to stay engaged, to kind of track with us tonight, I would highly recommend go to rayerchurch.com on your phone, follow along with us. The verses, the points, all of it will be there for you. So as you're pulling that up or as you're turning to those passages in your Bible, we are finishing a series tonight called Clap Back. And here's what we've been saying in this series is that our enemy, the devil is trying to take us out. We saw last week, he's a roaring lion looking to devour you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy and ruin your life. That's what the devil wants to do. And so your enemy, the devil will use some tactics to do that. And those tactics are often shame, discouragement, and distraction. The devil wants to shame you, discourage you, and distract you so that you don't live out who God has called you to be and what God has called you to do. And so what we've said is how, how do we come back from the devil's attempts at shame, discouragement, and distraction? And how do we come back when other people try to shame us, discourage us, or distract us? Because other people will do that sometimes too. I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all been guilty of gossip or slander, like tearing someone else down to make ourselves feel better. It's never fun to be on the receiving end of that. And so how do we come back from that? How do we come back from the devil's or other people's attempts at shame, discouragement, and distraction? Well, here's what we said in the series. We come back with a clapback. You see, what we saw in week one is that a clapback is a comeback that's pumped up with sass and attitude. And I told you the story about how my son Coben was playing football in the front yard with my son Levi and all the neighborhood kids. And I was the all-time quarterback and my oldest Levi was running his mouth and talking a lot of noise, talking a lot of trash as boys do to his younger brother Coben. And what I told you was that Coben didn't take it. He came back. He came back with a clap back and he started telling his brother Levi, his older brother, who's bigger, faster, and stronger than he is. Hey, you're not, what you're doing is not working. It's not making me feel any worse. So you can keep running your mouth, but it's not working. Coben came back with a clap back. He didn't allow his older brother to discourage him or shame him because he had just dropped a pass or distract him. He came back with a clap back. And tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at the life of Jesus. 
And what Jesus said when he was here on this earth, when the devil was trying to shame him, discourage him and tempt him. And we're going to look at the return of Jesus. When Jesus comes back one day, what does the Bible tell us about the return of Christ that gives us the ability to come back, to clap back from shame, discouragement and distraction? Now you might be thinking, Jesus would clap back at people. Oh yeah. Yeah, he did. In fact, one of the worst groups that he clapped back to was religious people, like the church people of the day. Jesus would call the religious people, people like a bunch of snakes, like they were sons of the devil. They were whitewashed tombs. That's the way that Jesus talked to some of the religious people of his day. Jesus clapped back often throughout the gospels. And we're gonna see one of those tonight here in Matthew chapter four. That's where we're going to be first. Matthew chapter four, the devil is tempting Jesus over and over and over again. Maybe you remember the passage. He's just been baptized. He goes in the desert and now he's in the desert and the devil's tempting him and the devil's tempting him because he knows who he's dealing with and what Jesus is supposed to do. And so in order to derail Jesus or attempt to derail Jesus, Satan tempts Jesus, he tries to discourage him, distract him from who he is and what God, his father has called him to do. And so how does he come back? How does he clap back to each one of these temptations? The devil saying, hey, you're hungry. Jesus is fasting for 40 days in the desert. You're hungry. Turn those stones into bread. You're the surly. Surely if you're the son of God, you could turn those stones into bread and eat. Do it. Tempting him. Then the devil tempts him and says, hey, listen, surely if you're the son of God and God really cares for you, you could throw yourself off this mountain and, and God will come and rescue you with his angels. Surely, like if, if that's really who you are, remember the devil wants to discourage you and distract you from who you are and who God has called you to be. Surely if that's who you really are, your father, God will come and rescue you, right? If that's who you really are, the devil tempts him and says, hey, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms on earth and all their power and wealth. If you will just bow down and worship me, if you'll follow me, I'll give you all of these things. And Jesus responds the same way to each one of these discouragements or these distractions, these temptations from the devil. He responds the same way each time. Watch what Jesus does. Matthew chapter four, this is verse four. Here's what Jesus says. No, that's the first thing you need to say when the devil's trying to tempt you. No, when the devil's putting a, a lie in your head, when he's trying to shame you, discourage you, distract you. No, no, Jesus says. The scriptures say this. And here's what you gotta understand and realize here in Matthew chapter four. The devil's actually taking scripture and quoting it to Jesus and turning it and twisting it to make it fit what the devil wants. And each time Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what the scripture says. No, the scripture says this, and I will do what God says. I'm not doing what you say. I'm not buying what you're selling me, devil. No, the scripture says this. Which begs the question, do you know the scripture? 
Like, do you know the scripture well enough to say, no, 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 I'm not buying that lie. I'm not believing that. I'm not living that way. I'm not choosing that. No, I'm not doing that. Not to be a good person, not to follow the rules. No, the scripture says this, and that's God's word. And God's in charge. He's the creator and the designer of life. He sent his son Jesus to die for me. He loves me. He wants what's best for me. He's a great dad. And because I love my dad, I'm going to do what my dad says because my dad's word is truth. Jesus says, no, the, the scripture says this. You're not going to twist it on me to make me feel better about myself or my sin or my wrongdoing. No, no, no you're not going to do that. Here's what the scripture says. You see, that day when we were playing football in my front yard with my boys and I was the all-time quarterback, I was on my son's Coben's team, the, the one that was receiving all the noise and the trash talk from his older brother, right? And so I'm on his team. Well, one of the reasons I believe Coben was able to come back with a clap back in that moment is because his dad was on his team telling him, don't believe that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the last pass. Don't worry about that mistake. We're moving forward onto the next play. We're moving forward, Coben. Don't worry about that. Don't listen to him. You got this. We're moving on. And Coben believed the word of his dad more than he believed the word of the one across the line of scrimmage from him that was talking all that noise, trying to discourage him and distract him. You see, what you've got to decide in your mind and in your heart is, who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe what the devil's whispering in my ear? Am I going to believe what my friends think and what this culture thinks? Or am I going to trust my dad's word who loves me and wants what's best for me? You see, here's the kind of scary part is that the devil knows the scripture and he knows how to twist it in such a way as to make you feel good about the direction that you're headed or to make you think it's okay or it's not that big of a deal. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Genesis, you remember how the devil appeared or in the story was in the form of a snake and was tempting Adam and Eve and saying, hey, take and eat, take and eat. And they're saying, no, 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 this, that's for the fruit from the tree that God told us to not eat from. We, we, can't, we can't eat that. God said, we will surely die if we eat that. And the devil says this to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Is that really what God said? See him twisting the scripture, twisting what God said. Did God really say that? No, that's not what God said. God just doesn't want you to have any fun. God just doesn't care about your happiness. God just doesn't care about you. God didn't really say that. God, here's basically what the devil said. God just wants you to be happy. Do what you, do what you want to do. Do what feels good. God just wants you to be happy. And the way you're going to be happy is if you do what feels good and if you do what makes sense to you and if you do what everyone's telling you to do, if you follow the culture, what the culture says is right. If you'll just do that, everything will be okay because that's, that's what God wants. <coughs> God didn't really say what, what you think he said. And what do Adam and Eve do? They take and eat. 
They bought the lie from the devil as the devil was twisting the word of God. They bought the lie. And in Genesis 3, God says, because you've sinned, there will be a curse for sin. And the curse for sin, God says, is death. Your bodies are cursed with death. This world, this planet is cursed with the curse of death. And so this planet, our bodies, everything because of sin, Genesis 3 says, is cursed. It's dead, dying, and decaying because of the curse of sin. So did God intend for us ever to get cancer, for there ever to be hurricanes or tsunamis or war or any of these things? No, that's not what God intended. It's not what God wanted. It's the curse of sin. This entire planet Every single person who's ever lived has been cursed by sin. Because we bought the lie of the devil as he twisted the word of God. And we've been following in Adam and Eve's footstep ever since. And every time we sin and every time we turn away from God and every time we buy the lie of the devil, we experience in reality and in very practical ways the curse of sin pain and regret. The devil's trying to devour you and take you out. And this is one of the ways he does it. But the devil, or Jesus rather, responded with no. No. Here's what the scripture says. This is what my dad wants. And I love my dad. I'm going to do what he says. So watch this. When lies attack, or actually our first clap back is I know his word. That's our first clapback. I know his word. That's what Jesus was saying. So when lies attack, watch this. Truth is our counterattack. I know his word. That's my clapback. That's my comeback from shame and discouragement, distraction. I know his word. Truth, God's truth is my counterattack. Now, several years ago, I was reading this story in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's a Bible for kids. It's a Bible we use here at our church. I use it with my kids. I recommend it to parents with kids. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's amazing. I read this Bible with my kids and I'm like crying. I'm tearing up because it's just so amazing. And so we're reading this story, the story about the temptation of Jesus in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I'm reading it with my boys and I'm doing the voices, right? Because when you're reading the little kids to keep them engaged, you, you, you do little voices, Please don't ever ask me to do little voices for you. You're in college. You don't need the voices, okay? But, but with my little boys, I'm doing the voices, right? So when it's Satan, I'm trying to act like and talk like this villain, like Jesus, you know, turn the stones into bread, you know, and, and Jesus, you know, throw yourself off the mountain, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the, my boys are laughing. They think it's hilarious because I'm, I'm acting like an idiot trying to sound like Satan or like a snake, you know? And, and so, so I'm doing the voices and it comes to Jesus when Jesus says, no, the scripture says, but in the Jesus storybook Bible, it says this. Jesus says, no, I will do what God says. And for some reason, because I've been doing the, the, the villain voice or because I've been acting like a snake, you know, going, you know, doing, just trying to act like the devil, you know, whatever. And, and so for some reason, when I got to Jesus's part, I said, no, real loud, I will do what God says. And they were kind of like shocked, like, oh my gosh, you know, and you do that with kids to keep them involved. And so I'm like, no, I will do what God says. And they thought it was hilarious. They just died laughing. And so then one of them goes, no. 
And then my other son goes, no. And then I yell out, no. And my wife's like, shut up. It's bedtime. Nixon's trying to go to sleep. You know, but we're yelling, no. I will do what God says. We yelled it over and over and over again to try to create that moment where they remembered, no, I'm not going to buy the lie of my enemy. I will do what God says because I know his word. And because I love my dad and my dad loves me, I will do what God says. So I know his word. That's our first clap back tonight. The second one, we're going to turn to Revelation. Now you just need to get ready because we're going to read a lot of Bible here. And I'm going to try to explain this and everything that's happening to you. But this is some of the most interesting stuff to me in the entire Bible. This is Revelation chapter 19, 20, and 21. And we're going to read a lot here. And just let me kind of give you an encouragement before we start here, okay? In Revelation chapter 1, John, the apostle John is having this vision of heaven and what things are like in heaven and what's happening in heaven at the end of time. And in Revelation 1, God says, whoever reads these words and listens to them and believes them will be blessed for doing so. Now, we hear that often throughout the scripture, but especially here in Revelation, there's like this special blessing that's attached to reading the book of Revelation and believing God's word in Revelation and living it out. There's a special blessing. And in fact, there's several times in the book of Revelation where we're actually told to read these words aloud in the churches. So let me encourage you here as we read from Revelation 19, 20, and 21, to lean in, to pay attention. Because if you will read it and listen to it and believe it, God says, you will be blessed. And I bet there's not one person in this room that would say, I don't really care about being blessed. Like I'm not too worried about God's blessing in my life. I think all of us would be like, no, I, I want God's blessing on my life. And so if that's you, I'd encourage you to pay attention. So here we go. Revelation chapter 19, John is seeing this vision of heaven opening. And I'll get to this here in just a second, but I believe at this point, the tribulation has already happened. And the tribulation is a time of great suffering here on this planet before the return of Christ. And I believe, and I'll show you here in a second, that the church will go through this time of tribulation and it will be very difficult and it will be a time of great suffering. And it will be a time where the church, I believe, will, must persevere and believe and follow Jesus in spite of great, severe suffering and persecution and costs. And so I believe the church will go through this time of tribulation, which I'll sh show you here in just a second. And then here's what happens after the time of great tribulation here on this earth. John says, I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like, watch this, his eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him 
The person that's on the big white horse, whose name is the, the word of God, who's faithful and true, eyes are like fire, crowned with many crowns. So there's armies of heaven that are following that guy on other white horses. Now from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title. Watch this. King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Who is this? This is Jesus. John sees the heavens open. He sees this vision of what's going to happen at the end of time, I believe after the tribulation, he sees this vision of heaven opening and this rider on a white horse whose title is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, eyes like fire. This is Jesus. This is the return of Jesus. Which Jesus and all throughout the scripture have prophesied that one day Jesus will Return not as a suffering servant as he was the first time, but as King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. And so what is he coming to do as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? What, what, what happens next? Well, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky. What, what, what do vultures do? Vultures cir circle about something they know is dying or dead so that they can eat. So what's dying or what's about to die for them to feast on? Come, gather together for the great banquet God is preparing. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So who's this beast? Well, when you read the book of Revelation, you, you find out that the beast is who we often refer to as the Antichrist. And this beast, the Antichrist, has set himself up against Jesus, saying that he is God and that you should worship him. And so this beast, this Antichrist, watch this, was captured. And with him, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown in alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. So this beast has a prophet. Much like Jesus had prophets who heralded him, who talked about him, who prophesied about his coming or his disciples, his preachers that would say, Jesus is the son of God. He is God. Worship him. Follow him. He is God. Well, this beast, this antichrist has a prophet too, who preaches about him, who talks about him, who says we should follow him. And we're told in the book of Revelation, and you saw a reference to it here, that this beast and this false prophet will perform many miraculous signs and wonders to lead us astray, including many people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but aren't really. They will be led astray by the beast and his prophet. 
because they will perform miraculous signs and wonders. And one of those, the book of Revelation tells us, is that the beast will be wounded, but will come back to life, imitating the resurrection of Jesus and saying that he is God. And the prophet will say, look, he, he's God. And they will convince many people to follow them in rebellion against God and rebellion against Jesus. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He sees the, the dragon. Who's the dragon? That old serpent, the snake, who's the devil, it's Satan. And bound him in chains, watch this, for a thousand years. Now, this word's going to be repeated thousand years several times in what we're about to read. The thousand years, known as the millennium, will be referred to over and over and over again. This is a huge thing in the book of Revelation, this millennium, this thousand years. So what is it? Well, first of all, Satan will be bound in chains in this prison, this bottomless pit for a thousand years. And it says the angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so that Satan could not, watch this, deceive the nations anymore until what? Until the thousand years were finished. So during this thousand years, this millennium, Satan is going to be locked up, chained up, and put in this prison, this bottomless pit, so that he cannot deceive people anymore. Afterward, he will be released for a little while. Then I saw this, look what he says. Then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been giving authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. These are people that I believe during the tribulation continued to persevere and follow Jesus in spite of intense opposition and persecution, even death. And they lost their lives because of their faith in Christ. John is seeing these people that had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus for proclaiming the word of God. Watch this. They did not worship the beast or his statue, nor did they accept his mark on their foreheads or their hands. This mark that will come from the beast and from his false prophet will be what is used to buy and to sell food during this time of great tribulation. And one of the things that we believe in the book of Revelation teaches us is that during this time, the only way to buy and to sell specifically food and other products and services will be with the, this mark that you will have to receive from the beast and from his prophet. And if you don't receive it and you don't bow down and, and worship them and, re, and receive this mark, you will not be able to even buy food during this time. Thus, some of the persecution and suffering that people endure during this time of great tribulation for people who do not follow the beast and the prophet, but continue to follow Jesus. So all these people came to life again and watch this. And they reigned with Christ, here's this again, for a thousand years. So during this thousand years, Satan is going to be in this prison, this bottomless pit chained up, but people who have followed Jesus all throughout history and during this time of tribulation will be raised to life and they will reign, it says, with Christ on earth for a thousand years. So Jesus is gonna to come to earth. He's going to put the beast and his false prophet into the fiery lake of sulfur where they will be tormented day and night, it says forever and ever. Then Jesus will 
resurrect people from the grave, people who have died all throughout history, followers of Jesus. When you follow Jesus, Jesus said, you believe in me, even though you die, you live, your body goes to the ground, your soul goes to heaven. And Jesus at this time is going to resurrect the bodies and to a spiritual glorified resurrected body that will be caught up in the sky. You'll see here in just a second with your soul. You'll have a resurrected body just like Jesus did. And we will reign on earth with Christ for a thousand years. And during this time, it will be a time of great peace. And because the devil has been locked in prison, it will also be a time of great harvest. Many people will come to know Jesus during this thousand year reign on earth. As Jesus reveals himself once again as Savior and Lord, many people will humble themselves and follow Jesus because the devil will be in prison and unable to deceive them. This will be a time of great peace, a a time of great harvest where we will reign with Christ for a thousand years here on earth. Jesus will physically reign and his kingdom will physically be established here on earth during these thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in this first resurrection. For them, watch this, the second death holds no power. That's the curse of sin, the second death that is to come. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be, watch this, priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years come to an end, watch this, Satan will be let out of his prison after this thousand year reign, after this millennium. He will go out to deceive all the nations called Gog and Magog. And that's just a reference to Ezekiel when God prophesied through Ezekiel saying that Gog, this king and his land, his kingdom, Magog, were rebels of God and God was prophesying through Ezekiel saying, I will destroy them. I'm going to wipe them out. They have taken their stand against me. They've rebelled against me. They have worshiped false gods and now I'm going to wipe them out. And so God was prophesying through Ezekiel. So in that same spirit, God is saying that the devil's gonna go out and deceive the nations like Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He's gonna gather them together for battle. The devil's going to do this. And a mighty army, as numberless as the sand along the seashore, And I saw them and they went up on this broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and this beloved city where Jesus is reigning from. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them, watch this, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur along with the beast and the false prophet, remember, who've already been thrown there. Now, Satan was in prison, he's let out He's gathered together these armies, this this army that no one can count to fight against Jesus and against the armies of heaven and against those who are reigning with him. That's you and I as followers of Jesus. But as big as this army is, fire comes down from heaven, consumes them in one blow. And now Satan is thrown into this lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, where, watch this, they are tormented day and night forever and ever. That's what happens in the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet and Satan will be forever and ever, forever and ever, tormented, it says here, day and night. Now remember that, Because there's another group of people 
that are going to be thrown into the lake of fire too. So remember what this lake of fire is all about, what it's like. And then I saw this, watch what he saw next, a great white throne. You remember in Matthew 25 when Jesus said that when he returns, he's going to return and he'll sit on his great white throne and he will judge all the peoples and he'll separate them into two groups, the sheep and the goats and the sheep, those who have followed him, will go into eternal life, the paradise that was created for them. And, but Jesus says the, the goats will go into the lake of fire, eternal destruction, that was prepared for the devil. But all those who have followed him will go there as well, Jesus said, the goats. And so Jesus said, Matthew 25, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be on this great white throne. Well, John's seen that. He's seeing this unfold. He's seeing this great white throne and the one sitting on it who's Jesus. Now watch what it says about this throne. It says the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I mean, how big is this throne and how huge is Jesus that the earth and the sky itself are literally fleeing from its presence and find no place to hide. Can you even fathom that? A throne so big, so great, that it's like the earth and the sky are just fleeing from its presence. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. You see, regardless of how big you think you are, how bad you think you are in this life, how much power, how much wealth, it's nothing. It means nothing when you stand before God. You could be the most famous person on this planet, the wealthiest person on this planet. It means nothing when you stand before God. It will do you no good. Fame, power, money, it will do you no good. Good, you will still stand before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then Death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, this lake of fire is the second death. And anyone, watch this, whose name was not found recorded in this book of life was thrown into the lake of fire with the beast and the prophet, the false prophet and the devil himself. All those whose names are not recorded in the book of life are thrown into this lake of fire where we've already learned they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So it begs the question, maybe the most important question you could ever ask yourself in this life. Is my name in that book of life? I mean, right? If this is true, 
Isn't this the most important question you could ask yourself in this entire life? Now, you may be thinking, I'm not sure this is all true, but regardless, it begs the question and it's worth finding out if it's really true or not. Like not how you feel about it, not how you make this, this makes you feel, because I'll be honest with you, this doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel like comfortable and great. This doesn't give me goosebumps like, oh, this is just so amazing. This is terrifying. And if this is true, this is the most important question you could possibly answer in this life. Is my name in the book of life? Because if it's not, these passages are telling me I will go to the lake of fire forever and ever where I will be tormented along with Satan and the beast and the false prophet. Make no mistake. The most important question in this life is, is my name written in this book of life? And how would you know? How do you know if your name is in this book of life or not? Well, there's one way to know. There's only one way to really know if your name is written in this book of life. You see, this book of life in Revelation is also referred to as the Lamb's book of life. It's the Lamb's book. So who's this Lamb? Who's this lamb that it's referring to? Who's the, who's the lamb's book? Well, in the old covenant, when you sinned and the curse of sin is death, so that God didn't kill you in an instant because of your sin, you would take a sacrifice, a perfect spotless lamb oftentimes, and you would put your hand on it and you would say, this lamb is going to die in my place for my sin. The curse of sin is death, but this lamb is going to take the curse of sin for me in my place. And it's going to die in my place for my sin. And then the priest would take it and they would slaughter it and they would put it on the altar as a sacrifice And its blood would be shed for your sin instead of your blood being shed for your sin. But all throughout the old covenant, it was prophesied that one day there's going to be a lamb who will be slain in our place for our sin, but then that lamb will come back to life. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before the time of Christ, it was prophesied that there would be a lamb who would be beaten and whipped and pierced for our sin and for my sin. But this lamb that's beaten and wounded and pierced would come back to life again, conquering sin and conquering death forever. Well, when Jesus shows up on the scene, the Pharisees start worrying about all their people following Jesus instead of them. And and even John the Baptist is preaching and his followers are saying, hey, all of your followers, John, are going to follow this guy, Jesus. And here's what John says. That's the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Bible says, is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. It's his book of life. And so the only way to know if your name is written in Jesus's, the Lamb's book of life, is if you've given your life to Jesus, if you belong to Jesus. 
You see, it was Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5 says, he who knew no sin became sin, took on the curse of sin, which is death for us in our place. So that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you're in Christ, if you're in him, you become, you receive the righteousness of God, a right standing with God. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. But it's not when you've been good enough. It's not when you try harder or do better. It's not when you come to Raider Church a certain number of times that that makes you somehow right with God. None of it does. The Bible is clear. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin and your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Romans 3 says, when you trust in Jesus' payment of your fine through his death on the cross. In other words, when you trust in the lamb who was slain in your place for your sin. And when you trust in Jesus' payment of your fine, your sin is forgiven. You're made right with God. You're righteous now. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven because your name's written in the lamb's book of life. And some of you are here You've never made that decision before, but there is no more important decision than you could possibly make in this life to give your life to the lamb who was slain in your place for your sin so that your name could be written in his book of life. And if that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus tonight so that your sin could be forgiven, so that you're not thrown into the lake of fire, the curse of sin, give your life to Jesus. And do it tonight. Don't wait any longer. And let us know about it. Go to RaiderChurch.com. Fill out that connect form. Say you're giving your life to Jesus tonight. We'd love to know about that decision and then just help you in your new relationship with Jesus. But it doesn't stop here. There's so much more. And it's absolutely incredible. Watch what happens next. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, this new Jerusalem, watch this, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And so John says, I saw this city, this new city, this new Jerusalem come down out of heaven to a new earth. And this is where Revelation will say, and the rest of the Bible will say, you and I will spend all of eternity. Theologians call it the eternal state. This is where we will be for all of eternity. It's not in some cloud with a harp and with a robe. John says it will be in this new city that's on a new earth. The old things are, are gone. All of it's gone. It'll be on a new city, new earth, with those new glorified spiritual bodies I was referring to, kind of like Jesus had after he was risen from the grave. So John says, I saw this city coming down from heaven to this new earth, and I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Watch this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said this, look, I'm making everything new. The old stuff is gone. The curse of sin is gone. Pain is gone. Sickness is gone. War is gone. School shootings are gone. Sin is 
gone. Death is gone. I'm making all things new, just like they were in the beginning, just like I always intended before the curse of sin ruined everything. All those things, those are gone forever. And the one on the throne said, I'm looking everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. It's done. This is the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All, watch this, who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. So the thousand year reign of Christ is over. Jesus is judged. The dead, those who have not followed him to the lake of fire forever. And now comes the eternal state. This new city coming out of heaven to a renewed new earth. We have new bodies where God is our God. We are his kids. There's no more pain, no more sickness, no more tears, no more anxiety, no more depression. All those things are gone forever. And this follower of Jesus, all these blessings are yours forever. If your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Now I know this is a lot. And so I've kind of summed it all up in this graphic for you. And it's on the notes, you can save it. Um, you can just kind of hold your thumb on it and, and save it to your phone if you want to take it with you. Um, if you're taking notes and you email it to yourself, the graphic will be in there too. But, but this is kind of a timeline of everything that we've just read to kind of sum everything up. Now, the way that I've described things to you and the way this graphic, this timeline kind of lays all this out is called classical, you see it up here, classical premillennialism. Now, that's just a term for it means what you believe about the way the millennium is going to work out and everything before and everything after. There's other views on this called amillennialism, postmillennialism. I don't have time to get into all that. Okay, we don't have time to go all that. I'm going to give you what I believe the way things work out. At the seminaries, and I attended a couple that I attended, we used a systematic theology by a guy named Wayne Grudem. This is his view, and I kind of fall in line with him. Now, People who love Jesus and are very smart disagree on some of these things and the timeline and the events, and that's perfectly okay. But when it comes to eschatology, that's the study of the final things, the end things, what we're studying and looking at tonight, people see things differently. It's something that is hard to interpret. Some things are not hard to interpret. Some things we can be very strong and dogmatic about, like the Bible's God's word, Jesus is God's son. Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus died in your place for your sin on the cross. There are some things we can be dogmatic about. This is not really one of them, like the order of these things. So we approach this humbly saying, this is how we kind of see things working out. And again, people who love Jesus and are very smart disagree about how this all works out. But here's what everyone agrees on. Jesus is coming back. He's going to judge those who have not followed him. They will go into the lake of fire for all of eternity with Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. And those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will go into the paradise that was created for them that we just talked about. 
That's what everyone agrees on. This is my view of how it's going to work out, how it's gonna happen. So over here on the left, you got the church age. That's where we're at right now, which leads into the tribulation. That's the big T, that's the capital T right there. I believe the church will go through a time of tribulation, again, where there will be suffering and persecution, a lot of the stuff we just read, and we will have to persevere and follow Jesus in spite of the beast and the false prophet uh, preaching a different message and saying, follow them, bow down to them and follow them. So you got the tribulation, you got the return of Christ and believers who are on this earth and believers who have died will be caught up in heaven with people who have uh, followers of Jesus who have already died, whose souls are in heaven. They will be caught up in the air with Christ and immediately return. You see, so this believers, which is the rapture um, being caught up in the sky with Jesus when he returns to immediately come back down where when Jesus returns, remember the very first thing, the beast and his false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Satan's thrown into prison. You got the millennium where followers of Jesus reign with Christ here on earth in a physical kingdom that's established and present here on earth. Satan's in prison. He's not able to deceive the nations. So it's a time of great peace, a time of great harvest. At the end of the millennium, Satan is judged. He is thrown into the lake of fire. All those who have not followed Jesus all throughout history are finally judged and thrown in the lake of fire at this great white throne right here. And after this, we enter into the eternal state, the new city that comes down out of heaven to the new earth where we will live forever with new bodies. And so that's the book of Revelation right there. Now you're all very smart and you know exactly how things are going to happen in the end. Why do we tell you all this though? Well, remember back to the beginning. When you know how things end, it changes your experience in the present. And so our second clapback for you tonight is this. I know he wins. And that makes all the difference in the world. When you know who wins in the end, it makes all the difference in the world. It changes your experience in the here and now. You see, back to the football game in my front yard. What I haven't told you over the last three weeks is that in this game, COVID's team is winning by a good four or five touchdowns. And he knows, his dad has already said, Guys, it's almost dinner time. We're about to go in. This is the last drive. And so Coben knows what? The game's over. He's already won. It doesn't matter if he dropped the pass before or what the next play holds or even what the next drive holds. It doesn't matter whether he does well or he does bad. He knows the game's over. It's done because his dad has said the game is over. He knew he'd already won the game. And so he withstood his brother's discouragement and distraction because he knew it's game over. Because when you know how things end, it changes everything about how you experience the present. And so watch this. When you know he wins in the end, you can persevere with hope. You can struggle with hope, knowing that he wins. And because I'm a co-heir with Christ and I'm going to inherit all these blessings, I win 
too. And because I win too, not only do I persevere with hope, but I suffer with hope. I go through persecution with hope. I go through tragedy, hard times, trials with hope because I know he wins, I ultimately win too. And then finally, watch this, I can mourn with hope. I'm gonna lose family and friends in this life. But if they have followed Jesus and I have followed Jesus, I will be with them forever and ever in that eternal state, the new city, the new earth, with the new body forever. I will be with them so I can mourn with hope. And so here's what I want you to see tonight. Anytime you're feeling ashamed of your past or discouraged about something happening in the present, remember your future because Jesus said, it's finished. I'm the beginning, I'm the end, game over. You know who wins. And because you know he wins, you know you win too. In this series, here's what we've been saying. This has been our big idea. You come back with a clap back. You come back from shame, discouragement, distraction. You come back with a clap back. And in week one, we said this, I know who I am and I know whose I am. In week two, we said, I know my partners and I know my purpose. And now in week three, we're saying, I know his word and I know he wins. That's how you come back from shame, discouragement, and distraction. This past week at our house, even though we've grown up in West Texas and I've been in West Texas for 30 years, we had our first snake encounter at my house. But here's the thing, I wasn't home. It was my wife and my daughter. She walked outside to her car and there was a snake behind her tire right in front of her front door. And so my wife and my daughter obviously are flipping out, okay? She's taking pictures of it and she's sending it to me and she's saying, come home. And I'm in a meeting and I didn't get any of it. And so here's what I found out later. My wife opened the car door. She basically like throws my daughter in the car. She's like jumping over the snake into her car to get into the car. She pulls out of our driveway and then here's what she does next. She runs that snake over. And then you know what she did after that? She backed over it. Then she put it in drive and she went over it again. And then she put it in reverse and she went back over it and then back over it and then back over it. And by the time I got home, that snake was flat. It was squished. Everything inside of it was squished out. It was flat and it was stuck on the pavement. She completely flattened that snake. And so I was using, I couldn't, I didn't have a shovel. So I was using like two golf clubs to like get it up off my driveway and into my trash can. But she completely crushed that snake. And did you know in Genesis three, after God says the curse of sin will be death, God also made a promise. And he said that the offspring of the woman, one day, her seed, her offspring will crush the head of the snake. And I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible concludes Matthew chapter four. The temptation scene with Jesus that we read and we talked about earlier. 
Watch how it concludes this scene between Jesus and the snake. Now remember, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. That's what God promised. And watch how the Jesus Storybook Bible, Kids Bible, finishes out this scene. It was just as God had promised to Adam and Eve all those years before. Jesus had come to do battle against the snake's work. He would get rid of the sin and the darkness and the tears, and he would suffer, but he would win. Follower of Jesus, you may suffer in this life, but because he has won, you will pray with me. God, it's my prayer tonight that this word will encourage us, that we might persevere with hope. We might suffer with hope, mourn with hope, that we would turn from sin and run from sin with hope. God, because we know ultimately, Jesus, you've won. It's finished. It's done. You're the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. Because you have won. We will inherit all these blessings too. And we will win too. And so tonight, God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would bring about a comeback in every person's life here tonight. Would you do that, God, wherever they're at, whatever they're going through, whatever they're battling against, whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're worried about, God, by your spirit, will you bring about a comeback as they remember who they are and whose they are and their partners and their purpose and that they know your word and they know you win. God, I pray that over every single person here tonight. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. And now would you stand and let's worship Jesus, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. You know, John closes out in Revelation 22 and after seeing all this, he says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We, we ask you, we're waiting for you. We're praying, come Lord Jesus. In other words, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to your return, Jesus. When all the things about this life, the curse of sin are gone forever and we receive all these blessings from God. So let's say tonight as we worship, amen, come Lord Jesus.